Our nation is in bondage. We are being held captive by this far-left liberal humanistic way of believing that has overtaken and enslaved us. It manipulates our way of believing by teaching it through our school system, manipulates our way of thinking by oppressing contrary views in the media and social media, and manipulates our nation's structure through unethical political practice, including rigging the presidential election. It is as if we are being enslaved by a nation that has overpowered us, which is truly what has happened, China controls us, as they have come to control the Biden family. Things are only going to get worse, including God's horrific judgments that are coming unless we rise up as deliverers and set the captives free. The time has come to act. It's time to stand on the Word of God and do something about it. It's time to act America, before it's too late. Let's see how God used His deliverers in the past and learn how we can go forward in the power of His name. Let my people go. The Deliverer Act. What is a deliverer? Why do they have a different spirit? Why are they always successful? Deliver means to save, rescue, or set free from, and to give birth to. God's people seem to be in constant need of a deliverer right from the beginning. In Judges 3, God's people started serving other gods and soon found themselves in bondage. In verse 9, the Lord raised up a deliverer named Othniel, then Ehud, my favorite, and a bunch of others. It seemed in chapter 6 that God was starting to get tired of that. He sent a prophet to speak of his displeasure with Israel, and in chapter 10, it appears that God spoke directly to his people. I wonder if God's voice sounded like thunder. Ye have forsaken me, and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen, let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned, and the Lord's soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Judges 10 13-16. God's soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. His heart was breaking for his disobedient kids. As a believer, I delight in the picture that statement paints of God. The inspiration behind God wanting us delivered is that His heart is breaking for us. That's true love, and it helps us understand that God is love. This was all the foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us on the cross, which is when the depth of the love that God truly feels for us became evident. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3:16. Jesus is the great deliverer. He didn't just deliver us out of sin, He also delivered us into salvation. God doesn't want just to deliver us from something, He also wants to deliver us to something, the promised land. Jesus is of course the greatest of all the deliverers, that's a no-brainer. But who was the second greatest deliverer? Most of us would say Moses because of the amazing things God did through him, but would we be right? Granted, Moses delivered them out of Egypt, but he delivered them into a barren desert, where all died except two. Whom did God use to deliver His people to the promised land? God chose Joshua to lead Israel to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I don't see him as the one who delivered them into it. One of our greatest examples is a man who many might not even consider a deliverer. Have you ever wondered why God chose Judah as the bloodline of so many great men and women including our Savior? Do you think it was because of the patriarch of this great tribe? Judah was just as jealous of Joseph as his brothers were. I guess that you could say he was a little better because he wanted to sell Joseph instead of kill him. I wonder if Judah did it in part for the money. I wonder how Judah spent the money he got for selling his brother. That really doesn't make him much better than Judas. No, that's not why God chose the tribe of Judah in my eyes. Perhaps God just pulled his name out of a hat. No, I think God is way too cool for that. I'll tell you why I believe God chose Judah. It was because of one man, Caleb. Upon entering the promised land, the leaders of every tribe died except for Caleb and Joshua. Caleb became the father of the tribe of Judah. 
Earlier in Scripture, when the spies returned with an evil report, it was Caleb who silenced the people and spoke the words that became the battle cry for his tribe in our faith. Joshua didn't say a word initially, it was only after God's approval that Joshua joined Caleb in rending his clothes and speaking to the people. Then God's true feelings came out. Because all those men which have seen my glory, and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me, surely they shall not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Numbers 14 22-24. Joshua's name was not even mentioned here initially because God was making a point. Joshua was a great leader, no one denies that, but it was Caleb who had another spirit with him. In the following verse, God mentioned Joshua, but that time, his name came after Caleb's. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua the son of Nun. Numbers 14:30. What was this other spirit that catapulted Caleb above everyone else? What did he say to silence his fearful brothers? Who was this lion of the tribe of Judah? This lion had a roar. This is Judah's roar, we are well able to take the land. Let's go up at once and possess it. Yes, the inhabitants of the land looked like giants, and they had walls and chariots of iron but Caleb didn't see that, he had seen Pharaoh's army washed away in the sea, and he knew these characters would meet a similar demise. Caleb believed God and was ready to act on that belief. Just picture the scene, the twelve spies returning with a victory report of the promised land of God, a land flowing with milk and honey exactly the way God had described it. The spies brought back pomegranates, figs, and a cluster of grapes that was so big that they had to cut off the branch it was on and lay it over a staff so two men could carry it. This was a veritable paradise in the middle of the desert just as God had promised. Suddenly, eleven of the spies began telling Moses in front of the entire congregation that the inhabitants of the land were too powerful for us, and we will all die. Then Caleb jumped up seeing fear and doubt in their eyes and interrupted the conversation. Caleb approached Moses and addressed the millions of Israelites. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and said, Let us go up at once, and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Numbers 13:30. In Caleb's mind, the battle was over the minute God said, I have given it to you. The battle is mine, says the Lord. The righteous are bold as lions, whatever lies in our way vanishes before active faith in the power and promise of God. All things are possible if they be but promised to him who believes. No sooner do those words of faith leave Caleb's lips than the other spies continued with their unbelief speaking of giants that lived in Hebron, the land they had walked through. The scripture says that they made the hearts of the people melt, hearts that were previously filled with hope and faith. But the men said, they are stronger than we, they are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the sons of Anak, and we were as grasshoppers in their sight. Numbers 13 31-33. These eleven spies gave an evil report, they didn't believe. They spoke unbelief, the real issue here. Caleb was the only one of those millions of Jews who believed and stood up and declared it. Caleb will forever go down in history as the man who tried to encourage his brothers to obey and trust God and who 40 years later was the only one of his generation to see the promised land. Again, Caleb spoke to the people, and that time, Joshua was with him. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. Numbers 14 9. Everyone else wanted to run, but Caleb wanted to attack immediately against impossible odds. That is the spirit of a deliverer who fearlessly stands on the word of God looking for opportunities to act in faith. The next time we notice Caleb, Joshua is dividing the land between the eleven tribes. 
When the tribe of Judah approached Joshua, Caleb began the conversation. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua, and Caleb, said unto him, Thou knowest what the Lord said unto Moses the man of God concerning me. Forty years old was I when, I spied out the land. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, These forty and five years, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day Moses sent me. Now therefore, give me this mountain. Joshua 14 6-14. Caleb declared Hebron as promised to him by Moses and rightfully took that as a promise from God. He coveted the land realizing Abraham had been laid to rest there and had given it to the priests upon conquest of it. His faith declared that if the Lord was with him, he would be able to drive out the inhabitants. That is the spirit I want, and that was the spirit passed down through the tribe of Judah, God said I can have this. Now give it to me. Upon Joshua's death, Israel seemed unsure of what to do as we read here. Now after the death of Joshua it came to pass, that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first, to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up, behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Judges 1 1 1-2. Caleb and Judah began subduing the enemies, and when they got to the mountain that Caleb had originally spied out, 85-year-old Caleb, who still looked 40, was going to personally remove the sons of Anak if you remember, they were called giants. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, and they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses had said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. Judges 1 19-20. God chose Caleb as the first deliverer in the promised land who led his people to victory because of his spirit. This same spirit resides in us. It is interesting that the first deliverer we see God raise up a few chapters later is Othniel, Caleb's younger brother. What is also interesting is that the mountain was Hebron, where the cave that Abraham purchased to bury Sarah was and the place Abraham had been laid to rest by his two wonderful sons, Ishmael and Isaac. It was God's favorite place on earth where faith was birthed, the place where Abraham's great journey of faith ended. It's amazing to contemplate Caleb as he walks by the bones of Abraham and Sarah, to whom the promise was made, after seeing the abundance of this promised land. Abraham is the father of faith laid to rest in Hebron. Caleb is a father of Judah established on Abraham's faith. We are Caleb's descendants by faith through Jesus. This is our heritage and battle cry. We are well able to take the land, the enemy is bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, the Lord is with us. Let us go up at once and possess this land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go up at once and take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it, by force. Jed 1 19-20 this is not a passive thing. We are deliverers made to fight against darkness, against the enemies of God. We are not enemies with Muslims, atheists, homosexuals, or any other group we can think of. They are all God's children, His beautiful creation. They are our brothers and sisters. We are at war with the spirits behind those held in captivity, and like our Savior, we are here to set the captives free, to kick down the enemy's door and declare, let my people go. Caleb's spirit was, just believe. We get a glimpse of this other spirit in the New Testament from the centurion, my favorite New Testament character besides Jesus. In Matthew 8 8, we read, Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. In other words, just say it and I believe it. Jesus, overwhelmed by his faith, had to reply. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Matthew 8:10. We are to believe God's word and act on it. The disciples wrote the book of Acts with their actions, they were believers acting in faith on God's word and Jesus' example. 
Where are our acts of faith? What book of acts are we writing? It's time to act. It's time to become the hand of God to our generation. Okay, so now we're all worked up and ready to fight as many evil spirits as we can get our hands on. The problem is that we can't get our hands on them. They are spirits. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6:12. So, what do we do? How do we fight? As Christian men, we are called to deliver everyone we know, our wives, children, friends, co-workers, and others. We're not called to be pushy, and shove God down their throats because that's just obnoxious and usually has the opposite effect. We'd warn people of a bridge being out, let's keep that in mind as we continue. We are called to shine light where there is darkness and to bring hope to the hopeless. It all started with Abraham obeying and sharing God's Word and culminated with Jesus, the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John 1:14. Jesus, God's Word, drew everyone to Himself. Upon His departure from this world, He ordained us as His disciples and sent us to set the captives free. Faith is believing God's Word, and deliverance is declaring God's Word to be true. As the need presents itself in the natural flow of life, we are to speak God's Word and pray it happens. It's time to preach. Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. 2 Timothy 4 2. The word preach can have negative connotations. Some of us might have grown up a little rebellious, and when our parents lovingly told us not to behave badly, some of us said, don't preach to me. Only later when we were dealing with the consequences of our bad actions did we realize our parents were only trying to help us. But even so, nobody likes being preached to. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call upon Him they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Romans 10 13-14 How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. Romans 10 15 this scripture is saying that if those around us call on the name of the Lord, God will help them. How will they know to call on someone they haven't heard of? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they know unless we tell them? It's up to us who know the truth to share it. It's not a mean, judgmental thing we're doing, it's a beautiful thing as we bring the answer to every need and situation. The scripture tells us how beautiful the people are who do that. God likens it to bringing peace and glad tidings of good things because that's what the Word of God produces though at first, Conviction can feel like a pinprick in our egos or whatever. One of the hindrances to my sharing my trust and faith in God is that it seems a little foolish. I get responses such as, you can't really believe that, or your life must be very pathetic to believe that stuff. I'm made to look like a fool in their eyes, but that's just the way it is. Preaching is foolishness to those that don't believe. 1 Corinthians 1:18. To the Jews, this new faith was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it was foolishness. The Jews wanted the Messiah to be a prince, not some nobody who was crucified, they despised him. The Greeks were so proud of their knowledge and learning that they laughed at the story of Christ crucified and the Apostles' way of telling it. It all seemed a little foolish to me at first, but my heart was ready to hear it. Even God calls it foolish. It pleased God, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. 1 Corinthians 1 Men were puffed up by their imaginary knowledge and were further alienating themselves from God. Famous men of wisdom and eloquence were not employed to distribute this message, just a few fishermen were. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Just face it, sharing God can seem very foolish because we don't really have any proof to talk people into believing in Jesus. It will always be about believing, trusting, and having faith in something we can't see. God wants us to believe we are His sons by faith in Jesus and for us to declare His will in our lives and the lives around us. 
we lead as a shepherd leads sheep, not pushy and demanding but helpful and patient. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 23 4. Another view would be that of a teacher teaching them to obey, Matthew 28 20. My favorite example is this. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. 2 Timothy 2 25-26. In meekness, we instruct. Those who oppose themselves are to be instructed in meekness, they must not strive with but be gentle to all men and patiently attempt to teach. This is the way to convey truth in its light and power and to overcome evil with good. Our eyes in instructing those who oppose themselves should be on their recovery if God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of truth. When sinners like me repent, those who were before led captive of the devil at his will come to be led into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We are concerned with their welfare, not trying to win an argument. We need determination. For the Lord God will help me, therefore have I set my face like a flint. Isaiah 57. Isaiah's confidence in God's help gave him unwavering determination. He was bold in reproving sin, in warning the unjust, and asserting the truth of God. This confidence gives us unshakable consistency and undaunted resolution. Our Redeemer is as famous for His boldness as He was for His patience and humility, and though He yields, He is more than a conqueror. This mortal shall put on immortality, death is swallowed up in victory. O death where is thy sting, O grave where is thy victory, therefore my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. 1 Corinthians 15:54-58. Once we were prisoners, but the prison doors have been burst open, the locks and bolts have been forced to give way, our shackles are knocked off, and we are forever released. The bonds of death are loosed, and we are at liberty and never more to be hurt by death or imprisoned by the grave. Our exhortation is to be steadfast, firm, and fixed in faith of the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose again the third day. The glorious resurrection was for Him and us. We are to be immovable in our hope of being raised incorruptible and immortal. We are to be steadfast in our faith in the gospel and the glorious resurrection. We have been given the victory by the sacrifice of our Savior. Nothing should deter us from our mission. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Acts 20 24. This is Paul's holy, humble resolution. All his care was to proceed and persevere in his duty and to finish well, and he is our example of holy courage and resolution notwithstanding the difficulties and opposition he met. Paul made no account of these hindrances and did not lay them to heart. He saw the storm arise but went on and determined to minister all the while knowing the cost to come. His main desire was to finish well, and that should be ours as well. He was sorrowful but always rejoicing, and in all things more than a conqueror. And it came to pass, when the time was come, that the Lord should be crucified, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Luke 9:51. Jesus knew what was about to take place, and he set his face like a flint in his determination to die for the sins of the world. His disciples saw his face and countenance and thought he was going to call down fire. Jesus must have had one determined look. It's time for us to become bold as lions. This is our heritage. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, they had been with Jesus. Acts 4:13. The men who spoke these words were brilliant, and they attended the finest teaching establishments of the day. They considered Peter and John to be unintelligent men. As Peter and John spoke, these men marveled at what was coming out of their mouths. Their insight into the spiritual workings mystified them. 
being with Jesus gave them boldness and wisdom as it does us. Acts 19 8 And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. Paul preached Christ as the Messiah these people were waiting for. He preached with persuasion. He preached undauntedly and with holy resolution, he spoke boldly as one who had not the least doubt and with the least dread of those he spoke to. He was unafraid of the fallout with the Jews. Acts 14 3 Speaking boldly in the Lord, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God's men spoke boldly in the Lord and His strength, and they trusted Him to bear them out. The Lord was working with them confirming the Word with signs and wonders. They were strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Signs and wonders were done. This is what the New Testament deliverers look like, they boldly declared God regardless of the situation or people. They didn't consider the consequences to themselves, they wanted God to save, heal, and set free. That is what the great Deliverer left heaven for. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that He, the Lord, might be glorified. Isaiah 61 1-3. That was Jesus's mission as Deliverer as it is ours. As men of God, we need to ask ourselves some penetrating questions. What do we stand for? Have we become emasculated by being agreeable to everything? Are we afraid of not being politically correct? Is there anything we would actually die for? Our country has a history of men and women who were willing to die for the freedoms and way of life that this great nation was built on. Now we are being destroyed from within by what I call a cancer that we allow to spread. How long will we allow this to go on? What else has to die before we get involved? How long will we allow ourselves to be pushed around before we put up our dukes and stand our ground? I love the movie Wild Hogs, what a riot! Four guys are riding across the country like tough bikers until real bikers threaten them. We find them hiding in a girl's apartment waiting for the bad guys to leave. Not so tough, right? Is this who we are as Christian men in America today? Are we hiding and waiting for the bad guys to leave? The bad guys will never leave until we roll up our sleeves and make them leave. This is the spirit we need, our love for God, moving us to fight for our families, friends, and nation. I love the ending of the movie when the four wild hogs finally roll up their sleeves and engage the enemy. They get punched and kicked, but they keep on going, they stand their ground, and wrestling changes them into other people. Their kids are proud of them, their wives stop belittling them, and they become heroes in the town. One of the themes through that movie was posing as a man. Are we just posing as Christian men? We are in a spiritual battle that can seem very similar at times and in many regards to a physical fight. Are there any heroes left in this country who are not afraid to stand against evil spiritually speaking? It's time to put up our dukes and fight spiritually, not physically. What is standing between you and the promised land? It's time to take it by force. Bold as lions.